0: Welcome to the Gamer's Tavern. This episode is all about self-publishing and putting your games out there without submitting to the man. For those who are wondering about our release schedule, uh, we've got a lot going on right now and we can't really talk about them just yet, but we're almost ready to make some big announcements for some huge things we've got lined up. And I'm actually going to talk about a couple of those here in a minute when I address the elephant in the room. The Gamer's Tavern Game Table Podcast. We haven't posted a new episode of that in a couple of weeks. And unfortunately, there's a couple of things going on with that. And the first thing is the original recordings, the high-quality recordings, are lost in a sea of about 40 or 50 unlabeled backup files. And I can't get them. And our backups recordings are all either missing or corrupted. And I don't know how that happened. But I've got to dig through all those files so I can find the original recording. So I can get back to editing and get those shows up. So until I can do that, the Shadowrun Game Table podcast is kind of on hiatus. However, we've got two new Gamer's Tavern Game Table podcast coming at you. The first one is Mutants and Masterminds, run by Cat9 and set in the DC Universe. Ross is going to talk a little bit about that on the show. The second one is a little bit different. See, our Game Table episodes tend to focus a little bit more on the plot and the story and the characters, and not so much the rules and letting you learn how to play. This is something completely different though. We are going to be playing the Dungeons & Dragons starter set for the new edition with the basic Dungeons & Dragons rules. The first episode is going to be all the players creating their characters and you're going to follow along step by step so you can learn how to play the game too and see all the new things that are going on with this edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm running the game and we've got a gamut of experience both in role-playing and in this specific edition. We've got players who've Play test, who followed this game all through the play test. We've got players who are very experienced players who have never actually seen the new edition, like Ross. Uh, We have players who have never played a tabletop role playing game before. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to both recording it and sharing it with you. So the Shadowrun podcast is going to be back as soon as I can sort this mess out, but until then, we're going to have a lot more good content coming for you. And Keep an eye out this weekend or early next week, we're going to have the second part of our episode on feminism up as well. So don't think I forgot about that, posting something completely different. I did not. So go ahead and grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner while I tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Audible. If you're listening to a podcast on tabletop gaming, I think it's safe to say that Audible is right up your alley. It is the largest selection of audiobooks on the internet, including some of our favorites. For example, have you read the new Dresden Files book, Skin Game? Seriously, it's a Harry Dresden heist movie. It's like an episode of Leverage for crying out loud. And it's available now, read by James Marsters. Yes, Spike and Brainiac reads The Dresden Files, and it's awesome! How much will it cost you? Well, possibly absolutely nothing because you can get a free download with your 30-day free trial. Just go to audibletrial.com/gamers tavern and it's all yours. That's audibletrial.com/gamers tavern to start your trial of Audible now.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Gamers Tavern podcast. I'm your host Ross Watson,
0: and I'm Daryl Mont Jr.
2: And I'm Jennifer Renee.
1: Wow, that's you're the first guest who's ever just jumped in like that. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> Sorry. I,
1: no, 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 no. That's fine. Nice. Like, I
2: feel so fancy now.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's okay. Note to future guests. <laughs> Do that.
2: Oh, my gosh. I was always that, like, dork who was, like, in the front of the class, like, raising my hand. <laughs>
1: like, so, like,
2: it's me. Get me. <laughs>
1: like, now, Jennifer is a published author. And uh, what do you do for a living, Jennifer?
2: I do um, advertisements for local companies, and so anything from billboards to brand identity packages, just stuff like that. So that's my. And don't
1: you don't you also have a site where you basically uh, fix other people's <laughs> yes.
2: writing? Yes, uh huh. Um, my friend and I we started a company called Line by Line Beta Reader, and it's a it's like an editorial proofreading service for. Um, mostly like first-time authors or um, indie authors who maybe can't afford traditional publishing services. So we have a network of of editors and and beta readers of all different skill levels um, to provide people with feedback.
1: Right. And that's what we're talking about tonight, actually, is independent publishing.
2: Yeah, it's something that I'm super passionate about. Um, it was a really weird process for me when I was writing my first book to try to decide, uh, which, which route I was going to take. Like, if I was going to go traditional or if I was going to go indie. And the more I looked into it, the more it just seemed like, um, the indie world was so new and so exciting that it just seemed like it was, it was absolutely just worth a try. And I'm super glad that I did it. But that's one of the things that kind of alerted me to this uh, need for more people to talk about it, more people to try it, and to not be afraid of it, so that people can network together and get that editorial service or um, that promotion, you know, like anything you would need as like an indie, indie writer to get your name out there.
1: And that's why we're so glad to have you with us tonight to talk about this subject. Um, but before we get right into that, uh, we do a thing on our show, I don't know if you've heard of us before, Jeth. Um, but we always ask our guests about their gaming character sheet uh, because most of the time the people we interview are gamers or in the gaming industry. And I know from experience because we were at we were together at a, uh, a convention called Con mm-hmm. that you you have been a gamer in the past oh, and yeah. you have been around gaming. So why don't you tell us and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself as your gaming character sheet?
2: So. Are you an elf? <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of it, because <laughs> there's not a lot of games that, like, get me, you know, like, because there's not a whole lot of, like, Unicorn Warrior Princess Healer games, but... Uh, no, that's
1: fantastic. You're a Unicorn Warrior Princess <laughs> like, Healer. I love it.
2: Right. So, like, so that's me. I don't know if anybody uh, here is familiar with or plays League of Legends, but it would be, like, Soraka with, like, a bunch of ethereal swords and also a queen of stuff, but, um,
1: Jennifer Renee, Queen of Stuff. <laughs> the
2: queen of stuff. <laughs> um,
1: you need to put that on your website.
2: I really should. Uh, I won't. I won't play a game unless there is some kind of like horse, unicorn, or deer mount. Like I don't. I I've got to have that. Okay. That's kind of where the Queen of Stuff. I'm like prissy about my games. Um. So so no Star Trek. <laughs> Not a lot of yeah. Like the Star Wars. Like I know those. They have some really great like. Knights of the Old Republic and stuff, but I was just like, they don't have any ponies, so I can't do it.
0: But, <laughs> <laughs> but it seems attacks so just don't cut it, <laughs>
2: right? I don't know. So I guess that's my overall. I mean, I'm pretty low strength, but I want to say like the intelligence, wisdom for like magic attacks and healing. But I don't walk around thinking that I'm like super brilliant and smart all the time. <laughs> so no, 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 yeah. Unicorn warrior princess.
1: Unicorn warrior princess. Okay. Now, you do have a really great gaming story that I wanted you to share with us because it <laughs> yeah. was this, the one you told the super Oh, and yeah uh, can we can we get you to tell us about uh, that? Oh, sure,
2: sure. um so my cousin Zach, who is an he's a he's an amazing guy, he's a hardcore. D and D, all all every board game ever. I mean, he's he's amazing, um, and he was trying to get myself and my brother to uh, learn about D and D. And so, of course, I was like, I'm not gonna play unless I can have a pony, even if it's an imaginary on paper pony. I'm not gonna do it. So he's like, Yeah, sure, I'll give you a pony. So I was super excited, and we started our little characters, and um, we went up on this cliff, and he was <laughs> he was he was annoyed with me for. Uh, taking up so much time in making my, my pony that he was like, oh, no, and now we're on a cliff, and your pony gets spooked. So you're going to have to roll to see if your pony runs off the cliff. And I was like, I don't like this game. And he was like, no, you're going to have to roll. <laughs> so so I, like, I, I, like, grab the dice, and I'm just like, I'm like, no, we got this pony, and then I like roll the dice, but we didn't got this, and my pony ran off the cliff, and I was like, oh, no, no, I'm out, I'm done, no more. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like stood up, did like the like the mic drop with my stuff, I'm like no, no more, <laughs> like we're we're done here. So I, I never I never played D and D again. It scarred me for life, like for life. It absolutely, I'm
1: really really sorry to hear that. <laughs> Because I think you would be an excellent role player, but uh, well, I, it you. is also really sad that you had to go through that, that trauma. It was horrible. Of losing your pony.
2: I dream about it. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, pony, no. <laughs> like, if only I rolled a seven, you know, it was like my so that's, fault.
1: That's also going to count. See, that's the, what I did there was actually very smooth because we also have a thing called Tavern Tales. Which is talking about a die roll that's very important.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: so what I did is I actually took you right <laughs> out of your gaming character sheet right into the Tower of Tales. Awesome. Very smoothly. So the only other question left is to talk about what we've been playing lately, okay. and I'm actually going to start with Daryl. Daryl, what have you been playing lately?
0: Uh, I haven't been doing much playing. However, uh, we have an in-studio guest today. Uh, my friend James is sitting here using my internet to play Ultima Online, which apparently <laughs> still exists in fan servers. So
2: that's awesome.
0: So yeah, he's been he's been telling me all about the changes they made whenever they made their own because it's, it's fans of the game after EA stopped supporting it made their own servers. You can still connect things like that. So
1: that's very impressive. Uh, Jennifer, have you been playing anything lately?
2: Um, well, uh, someone lied to me and told me that there were pony-like creatures in the game Wildstar, so I went and got the Collector's Edition thinking it would give me greater chance of having pony, but there, <laughs> there wasn't. <laughs> as it, Lies! As it turns out. Lies! <laughs> I know, I get, I, like, it's my weakness, and it's just, it's it's so easily exploited, so, um, I recently, I made, like, a bunch of different, they have, like, the bunny characters, and you can make, like, this draconic, cool warrior kind of creature race character, and so I, was ma- I made a bunch of different characters, and um, got super obsessed with that, and then I was playing that game pretty seriously for a while, and then, um, I guess, I don't know, then I just got sucked back into League of Legends, so.
1: <laughs> well, you you could come over to Star Trek Online, and you could make a, you could name your ship the USS Pony.
2: Oh, okay. Just saying. Okay. Can you, can you, can you paint your ship or in any way like upload like, you know, like a bitmap file? Like, you you know how like in, like in Counter-Strike you can like spray paint like a logo when you kill somebody? Like, can you?
1: No, you can't do that. You can't
2: destroy people with like pony missiles maybe or something. (laughs) (laughs) Give me something. Lie to me. Like I'll go play. (laughs) I can totally. If you lie to me, I'll be there. I'm writing down Star Trek ponies.
1: So, the other thing, uh, let's see, I've been, um, I moved. I'm in Colorado. Oh, this is no the first Yep. This is the first uh, broadcast from me in Colorado as opposed to Austin. I'm in, living in uh, North Glen, which is apparently right next to Thornton, which is all part of the Denver Metroplex. Wow. Uh, I have actually joined a fourth edition D&D game that's running uh, with Bill Keys. I'm playing the Warlord, um, which is kind of cool, but I look at it this way, I'm dual wielding adventurers, because <laughs> the Warlord makes everybody else do stuff. And I'm still playing uh, the Avengers game. In fact, we're playing Avengers tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. We're still playing the Gamer's Tavern game table, which is Shadow of the Bat. It's the (laughs) DC Adventures game that's being run uh, by Cat9. And I am playing the Knave, one of a number of vigilantes trying to protect Gotham City in the wake of Batman's death. And it's pretty fun. So that's what we've been playing lately. Let's jump into, because we got Jennifer here, let's talk about independent publishing. Okay. So Jennifer, talk to us. What is the difference between traditional publishing and publishing on your own? What's the big difference there?
2: Um, I think honestly, like biggest difference. Like I mean, there's there's a bunch of differences, but the biggest and most glaring one is um, the need, I guess, to self promote because you do have to self promote with traditional publishing, I and mean, unless you are like already a rock star and they already know you, from what I understand, when you when you first are published, like it's your very first book, traditional, like I said, you, you still have to like get out there, but you, you do have the backing of like a publisher and, and you do have some help. Plus you have your books in like all the stores and you don't really have to worry about distribution and stuff like that. But with self-publishing, you don't have that backdrop of people who have like, you know, like your your company and your publisher and your editor and your your whoever necessarily that just already by default believe in you and there's there aren't a thousand stores that have already ordered three hundred copies of your book. You have to really put yourself out there and, and be good at it and believe that you can do it in order for, for anything to work.
1: And I think, you know, it's really important for our listeners to actually know like what you did self publish. You self published a novel called The Last Seraph.
2: Yes. Um and it is uh basically uh like a Beauty and the Beast story but like with like the Beast like the 666 Beast.
1: <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the capital B. It's <laughs> right. it's a love story featuring Satan.
2: Right. Yeah, it's kind of about um uh in cuz I thought that if there were ever a character who ought to experience that opportunity at potential redemption and forgiveness, shouldn't it be that character that everybody hates? So, like, you have, like, the Avengers, for example, and you've got, like, everybody kind of pulling for Loki, right? Like, come on, get it together, bro. Because like, Loki can, is awesome. You can, to- right? It's- oh, yeah. So, like, yeah, you <laughs> can, you can do that, man. And then when he goes evil, you're like, oh, but you kind of love it because you sort of wanted to see that, too. So, like, I thought, like, you know, there are other, you know, interesting, uh, characters and entities that, that could have a really cool story there. So that's kind of where that came from.
1: And, you know, I have read The Last Seraph, um, and I am willing to say that it is very, very good, especially you. for your first, especially for an author's first book. Thanks very um, much. I, I think everybody kind of knows there's always like, you know, that first book and it gets better from there, right? So sure. this first book is really interesting. I think the things that you did really interesting here was, like you just said, it's, it, you tackled some what if questions that people were just too scared to ask.
2: <laughs> and and like the
1: question, you know, what if Satan could be redeemed? What if Satan's story is a little more complex than we thought? You know, and I, I really liked that. I liked your your descriptions They were very vivid, they were exciting, they helped set the atmosphere.
2: Well thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: it's it's a good and people should definitely go check it out because you know, if nothing else, just the whole subject matters, the idea of like, dude, this is the book where Satan gets a second chance. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> And you're fearless. I mean, that's the thing I loved about it is you were just utterly fearless. And like, no, I'm going to write a book where Satan is the protagonist.
2: Thank you. And not you. everybody's
1: going to be doing that, right? Like, not every author going to be bold enough
2: Yeah, to... I, I think... Well, and one of the things that frustrated me is I read so many books. Like, the reason I wrote this was kind of like to fulfill a need because I just... I'm ravenous when it comes to books. I just devour them. And I would read these fallen angel books and these like... Uh, demon books, you know, stuff where, like, all this cool stuff could potentially happen, but it feels like they would give them all these characteristics that were really pretty similar to what one might think of, of, like, this fallen angel who's pretty bitter about it and sad and all this stuff, right? But they just wouldn't call him Satan or Lucifer or any name that, like, would in any way register with, like, that particular character. Mm -hmm.
1: You're actually a really young author, too. You're, like, 26 and you've got... Yeah,
2: I'm 25. 25. T- yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it was fine. Uh, yeah. So I'm pretty young for trying you to. You got a
1: You got a lot ahead of you too. Yeah, because you know, this is like the first book in a saga, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm um uh, pretty much like I guess halfway done with the sequel. So and I cool and yeah, and the sequel is pretty interesting because I decided that um because I wanted to make things more challenging. I guess <laughs> I don't know. I was like, so now that I've established that. Oh, and by the way, Gabriel is the antagonist of my book. That I would now make Gabriel the protagonist. Oh, that's interesting. And then have Sataniel, which is what I named him in my book, be the antagonist again. Right. But, so it's been, it's been a really cool process today to kind of turn everything around. And I think I'm definitely a better writer. I learned a lot from the first book, and I'm just super flattered that you enjoyed it.
1: I did. And, you know, when it comes to, like, self-publishing, though, I mean, we, we brought you on the show because you're, you've done it with a novel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but a lot of things that we talk about with uh, our listeners is more in the world of, of games and gaming. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, just for me to, to point out, like, what makes an independent game publisher as opposed to a uh, non-independent one is probably... I mean, I'm going to throw this out to Daryl and see if he agrees with me, but I think it mm-hmm. has to do with the size of the, the company. Like, I think there's a certain tier, and that tier starts about Green Ronin. So, any, any company that's like Green Ronin or higher is probably like, if you, if you, if you, uh, publish a game that's not independent, that's, that's totally professional. But if you go to someone like Third Eye Games or Reality Blurs, you know, some of these smaller companies or Melior Via, who does Accursed, yep. you know, that's more of an independent. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Uh, I would, I might also add in, uh, it also has to depend on the size of the fan base as well, because you've got some companies that are definitely smaller. At, at least, oh yeah, in terms like of size say, and organization, but are Evil hat. still huge. Evil, yeah. Hat, yeah, Evil
1: hat, yeah, Evil Hat. so so is Evil Hat independent or not?
0: I would. <laughs> it's really tough to call. Yeah, yeah, they're, I agree. They're small enough to be independent, but in organizationally speaking, but at the same time, they're huge dominant force in the role playing game market.
1: Right. So I think it's definitely a great area in terms of gaming. But we in the gaming world, though, they don't have those years and years of tradition that the the novel world does, and that's kind of where that comes from, don't you think, Jennifer? In the novel world, that's based on tradition. Yeah,
2: and- I mean, I was thinking about what you said, and um, I'm not like again, you know, I can't, I can't play like D and D and stuff because I have trauma. But um, <laughs> I was thinking about, and like, I mean, I think there, there might actually be um, a perceived kind of like traditional, because like if you don't get your card game published by like Wizards of the Coast, or if you don't have your board game published by Hasbro, you know, like those are like big names that. And I know those aren't necessarily the kinds of games that everybody is talking about here, but I just mean, like, there are really recognizable names in the same way that there are, like, the big three book or big five. I guess now one of them ate the other ones. So there's, like, four or something, <laughs> but, like, I don't know. Like, there's a, there's a couple, like, a handful of big publishers in, um, the traditional novel industry as well that people recognize. So I, I would almost say that an indie publisher is somebody, and I think it goes back to marketing uh Mm. with games it's like it's their it's the way they are able to market their wares so like you know what i mean so like obviously for example like wizards of the coast again i mean they have a huge network they're super recognizable they can get your card game anywhere but i would i mean anybody else um
1: it's like market penetration yeah like they
2: would have to take even if it was a bigger name they might have to take a more indie route with your stuff because they don't have any proof that it's going to sell, they don't have any proof that it's going to hmm. make them any money, so you might still feel indie, even if you were, because still nobody knows your your game, you know what I right. mean? Like, you still will have to go to, like, conventions and promote yourself and your game, even if you got your actual stuff printed by, like, a big deal publisher. Right.
1: The thing, though, that, I mean, we, we talked about how The Last Seraph was a risk-taking book, mm-hmm. and we talked about it was a bold step to make, you know, your protagonist, you know, um, Satan. Right. (laughs) Uh, um,
2: No, I I still... I have problems pitching that myself at, like, conventions. And and
1: I think that's really, like, one of the big differences between an indie publisher... And this is true for for games as well as novels. Is that you're going to find the unique and niche stuff more Mm -hmm. often in the indie side. And that's true for novels and books, I would say.
2: Absolutely. The
1: more experimental things. Mm -hmm.
2: It's like a risk-reward thing as well. I mean, people... The indie stuff is usually a little bit cheaper because they know that, you know, they're trying to just get their names out there at first. You know what I mean? But at the same time, people feel like they've been burned because you there's there's a bunch of crap out there. So I think some people are really afraid of of spending the $10 on the indie game when they could spend $20 on a game that has, like, 80 billion likes on Facebook and they can find, like, a whole raid call meeting that they can go join. You know, like, there's just... um. So they feel like I don't want to keep spending ten dollars on on these risks when I could spend twenty dollars on something that I'm sure I'm gonna like. But at the same right. time, if you if do that, you can something... find that amazing thing that like a traditional publisher is right. really missing out on. So, like I said, it's like a risk reward because sometimes there's some amazing stuff out there. I mean, the like Kickstarter is a is a huge example of right. incredible indie games that. Just take off because people hear about it and they're like, "Oh my gosh, that's incredible! That's such a great idea!" But I mean, you gotta you gotta really search for it, and sometimes you gotta be burned. But I think it's absolutely worth the risk.
1: Well, that's that's the next question I was going to ask you. What are the advantages of going independent?
2: Um, I would say the advantages are you have complete control over what you want to say, and you answer to yourself for your deadlines. You answer to yourself for um, like I already said, your content, your cover, your title. You're even- your own boss. Oh, yeah, you're your own boss. I mean, even down to like the editor that you want to to hire, if you want to hire an editor. I mean, I know some people don't, or you know, if they have a you know, English major in the family or something, but I mean, like, you you just have complete creative control over all of it, and um, that even goes down to the pro side of marketing. I mean, you can market yourself however you want. Like, if I want to market my book as, like, the A beauty and the beast with the beast, like, that can be my catchy little thing. That is but... very catchy, by the way. Thanks. I, if I want my main character to be that Satan, like, it's not a different guy. Don't give him a different name. Like, don't make it Hades and Persephone. Like, I actually want it to be the 666 guy, right? Like, I can do that. Whereas, um, I think in the traditional world, it's it's very likely very possible that, like, you don't necessarily have a say over your title. I mean, you get to vote, but you might not really get the final say. You don't nece- You don't get to say how your ads are going to look and what kind of angle they're going to take. Like, if they pick out, like, the romance part of it or, like, the adventure part of it, like... Whatever they think is going to sell more, um, that might not necessarily be what you think would sell the most, or how you think you could access that market that you think would really appreciate and and love your your work.
1: So there's you don't have to make any compromises when you go into
2: right. I, well, very
1: yeah. few comp. Let's put it this way, you don't have to make any any compromises on like the content. Yeah, you because cr- you're responsible
2: for it. Yeah, the only compromises you have to make come down to like your own budget. You know, like what what can you put into advertising and. Um, what can you put into cover design and whatever? Because like, if you have to hire somebody to do any of that, then you are going to have to be working with another human being, and they have thoughts, and they're probably amazing, maybe not, but you have to like, you have to work with people eventually.
1: Segwaying from the advantages. Although I do want to say some other things about advantages. We are now talking about like the disadvantages of okay. going indie. Yeah. But but like going back to advantages really quick. The the idea that you're doing something unique and niche. I think that's probably a little more important for gaming than it is for novels, just because people, I think a lot of gamers, are really looking for the new thing. They want something, at least in my opinion.
2: Oh, I totally a lot, agree.
1: When it, when a gamer goes to a store and he wants to buy something new, he wants to buy something he really, you know, not, not just an iteration on something he already knows, but he wants to try something that he hasn't seen before. Does that make sense to you, Daryl?
0: Yeah, that's where you get trends that pop up frequently in games, where you'll get a whole bunch of people basically making, uh, I think Sherlock Holmes is going to be the new one because that just entered the public domain completely, but for a long time it was zombies, then it was uh, like sword and sorcery, very uh, Conan inspired stuff, and Cthulhu, mythos stuff, was a big thing. Everyone wanted to make the game that everyone recognized in that genre, But and there were a lot of oddball ones that popped up that ended up being really successful too, based on the fact that they were able to make something that was really super specifically niched.
1: That's a good point. Um sometimes I mean I think you can make the argument that some gamers do want something familiar. I think uh a good example is Mantic Games. They are they've made a whole bunch of miniature games that are basically remakes of very old familiar properties that people wanted more of. And there so so there's there's advantages in that too. Um just like, you know, I think that's why the romance novel is still a very popular thing because you know exactly what you're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. Like There's no surprises in that that romance novel, uh, but it does give you what you want. So there's there's both sides. There's the people that want exactly, you know, they want more of the same, and then there's also people that want the new. But that's where the indie is the big deal is it's, it's going to be the new and the experimental and the unique, right?
2: Absolutely. I w- I- okay. Okay. I'm not as much like the tabletop kind of gamer, but especially with like MMOs and stuff like that, even MOBAs now, you hear about like um, Dota 2 and Heroes of New Earth and League of Legends, and like they're all trying to like people get people fall in love with something and then they're just like, well, now what? Because that was really great, and if I want to play that, then I should just go play that. Like, I don't want a reskinned version of the same thing. Right. Um, and so I think that's why you have all these like for like, what, a decade now? Like, WoW clones just keep coming up and it's just like the same thing over and over and over and every game is like, oh, but we're special in this one way. And I think that's why indie people have a huge edge in that because they don't have to answer to like a huge publisher like EA. You know, they can just like come in and be like, actually, no, I am going to make it different and it's going to be so crazy. I'm going to
0: make a platformer where the main character is a meatball.
2: (laughs) Yes. Right. So I think, uh, absolutely that's where indie indie developers right. have an edge
1: well let's shift gears let's go back you were you were talking about the disadvantages of going indie because you were saying that the upfront costs oh yeah are are, are, are a big deal um, and I think that's definitely true because I did a Kickstarter for Cursed, where we had to put up some some upfront costs mm-hmm. but tell us about like in the novel world what are the disadvantages of going indie
2: well, there's definitely, uh, like I mentioned before, it's difficult, um, if you don't know how to market yourself, or if you do know how to market yourself and you just don't have the budget for it, it's difficult to want to go to a convention to sell. And that's the other thing you have to, um, if you're a shy person, you're not very good at, like,
0: <laughs> putting yourself out
2: there. It's yeah. difficult because you're indie, so it's just you. You know, it's like you and your best friend who wanted to come with you because, it's Dallas Comic-Con and I want to see William Shatner. You know what I mean? They're not really actually going to be there with you. It's really all you. So I think it, it's definitely, it depends on your personality, I guess is what I'm trying to say, like some of, yeah. the, some of the cons. And then um, also... Well, let's,
1: let me ask you a little more specific question. Okay. Um, what is like a typical, I mean, you don't have to give us like what you paid or anything, but mm-hmm. if, you, if you were going to tell somebody what a ballpark figure would be, to market a novel that they were self-publishing, what would that be?
2: Oh, wow. Well, I mean, uh, if you have really effective ads, like if, if you have just nailed it, you know what I mean, and you have like a really great, concise, clear message that really hits your target audience, um, if you, I guess there's a lot of time. I guess that's something else I'm trying to say. It takes a lot of time yeah. to save yourself the money uh, of figuring out, for example, if you have Google AdWords, like which ones are actually working for your sales rather than just generating clicks. Um, so if you already have all that behind you and you've already done like the research or you've already spent the money to deal with that, I'd say like, I don't know, maybe like a thousand dollars.
1: Okay. All right. So yeah, just, the ballpark's important because I want our listeners to not be like thinking, you know, like mortgaging their house kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah, you know? no. I mean, <laughs> just, and,
2: well, and it's exactly, it's really, it's what you make of it. I mean, if you go to, if you're really great at, at face to face and like, you know, really getting down there, you can just, like, go to meetup groups, you can sponsor people for just, like, you just offer them like 20% off your book and then you count as sponsoring somebody on like you know like meetup.com or whatever it is. And then like your name or your organization is like right there on the side of this meetup group for whatever the duration of your contract is. You know what I mean, so there's there are definitely cost-saving ways of doing it. It just depends on like what you're really good at. But if you just right. want ads and you don't want to look at people and don't want to like leave your house, then that's probably the most expensive route.
0: I will throw it out there that Advertising on podcasts is very cost effective. It is very
1: cost
2: effective. <laughs>
0: now,
1: yeah, Jeffrey, you have yet an edge though, because you actually work in marketing, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is something you came to with an advantage.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons why when I was looking at should I traditional or should I go traditional or should I go indie, I decided that it would be more fun for me and something that I could really possibly uh, see some success with by going indie. I went to uh, school at the Savannah College of Art and Design and got my degree in advertising. So um, I would like to think that my ads are pretty effective and that I'm not wasting too much money on them. (laughs) But but yeah, definitely, it it really does help to to at least even, you don't have to have a degree, but at least research it and just be aware that like you can't give somebody like an elevator speech that lasts 20 minutes. Yeah, it has has to last like 30 seconds for a reason, you know. (laughs) So just to learn learn how to be concise. And clearly, I'm not that great at it because I just like go <laughs> on and on.
1: Well, the podcast is a good place for you to get a little worthy, wordy, I think. I think it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a good time to, to, you know, be very, very clear about what you're talking about. So, you know, in this disadvantage area, you know, we talked about upfront costs. We talked about, you know, you have to do your own marketing. Really, what you're saying is I think that there's very few things that you're going to be able to outsource. Like the majority of it is going to be on your shoulders, and it's a big job.
2: Right. Well, and if you want, like, for example, um, because I went to art school, I made my cover, and I feel like it's decent cover. I wish I had chosen a less derpy typeface but I was super obsessed with like swirlies you know like you know like you know it's like like you know first world unicorn princess problems and I just like you know infected my book with that but like um, other than the typeface like you know like the the glowy hands and stuff so like I was able to at least make my own but I mean it that that can be pricey too I mean it's just it just depends on how much you want to put into it how you want it to look because I know that it can cost like eight hundred dollars to right. get a professional designer to, like, do your cover. And it'll look, I mean, it'll look amazing. So you know? this
1: is this is something I run into a lot when I'm looking at independent games um, and guys that are making third-party stuff. Like, I was at uh, Comic Palooza in, in Houston mm-hmm. uh, just a, a month ago, and I saw uh, quite a few, like, third-party guys that were making, you know, Pathfinder products, and they were making, you know, books for, uh, for different games and companies. And Daryl and I were both taking notice of things like, Cover art, interior art, layout, mm-hmm. production values, and you know I think what that really boils down to, and this is true for I think both both industries we're, we're discussing tonight, is you're not just an author, you're not just a game designer when you're indie. You have to be your art director, you have to oh, be yeah. your editor, you have to be that guy who makes some some very tough decisions. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I, th- I saw some guys at Comic Palooza I think that that didn't that ended up choosing to go with something that would get their book out on time mm. as opposed to something that would get their book out late, but would look, you know, make the book look a lot better. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of where I want to weigh in and say, if you are going to go indie and you are going to be the guy in charge of all this stuff, I think it's, it's in your best interest to not rush it Yeah. to, because, you know, your book can be late and that'll only matter once. But if your book is bad, <laughs> it's going to be bad forever. <laughs>
0: totally. And even if the content is good, if you don't have an eye-catching cover, people aren't going to want to look at it. They're not going to. You want something that's kind of evocative that makes you want to pick up and look what's inside.
1: Yeah, you want mm-hmm. you want artwork and production values that are going to elevate
2: the product. Well, right, and that's because you're competing with big publishers who have the time, the money, and the inclination to do it all. So um, it is really important.
1: Well, one thing you do have as an indie, though, is time. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, don't rush it.
2: Well, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You answer to yourself. And, I mean, like, if you tell everybody, like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm halfway done making my game, and, you know, we're almost there. And then you're like, well, we ran. You, you should, don't be afraid to be like, I ran into a roadblock. It's going to take a little longer. Because people will forget about that when you finally do publish your amazing product. You know what right. I mean? They'll forget that it, I mean, think about, like, any, like, smash brothers game ever i'm pretty sure has been delayed by like four or five months like heck no (laughs) it's not coming out for christmas like they're already lying you already know (laughs) there's no way there has never been a smash brothers product that came out on time but by the time it comes out everybody forgets because they have so much fun playing it and i'm it's the same for like everything else i mean as long as you have a quality awesome product i think People won't, they'll just, they'll kind of forget. They'll be like, ah, oh, it was a little bit annoying, but hey, I finally got it. And now everybody can come over and play it. Everybody loves playing it. I mean, that's the only thing that really matters in the end.
1: Well, um, let's let's actually move a little bit further on and, and talk about, like, let's say you got your product done. Let's say you get your game done, your novel done, and it's time to print it. As far as I'm aware, there's basically three different ways to go. There's the digital only method, which is like, you know, for novels, it's ePubs, and for uh, tabletop games, PDFs. And then there's the print-on-demand option. Mm-hmm. And then there's the traditional printing, which is where you get a print run of, you know, I, I think it runs anywhere from like 500 to 1,000 as a minimum. But, you know, you're looking at hundreds, if not thousands of books when you do the traditional printing.
2: Right.
1: Is, are, is there one more I'm missing, or is that pretty much the big three?
2: Um, I'm thinking that's probably it.
1: Okay. Now, can you tell us about your decision with Last Serif and why you chose – which one you chose and why you chose it?
2: Okay. um, So I chose uh, like a a digital version for like Kindles and um, iPads and stuff like that. Um, And then I also chose print-on-demand because I did not want – Actually, that's a lie. No, I did want a warehouse full of my books because I told everybody I was going to, I was going to make a, uh, like a throne. I was going to actually hot glue, I was (laughs) going to hot glue myself this oh my really God. fancy throne of books. That's the
1: best reason ever right. to go with, <laughs> like, a big print run. I'm going to make a throne of books and and, and recline and, upon it. Yeah, and, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And come oh at my me because
2: nobody can, like, make fun of you for having, like, a Come warehouse. at me, bro. Right, no, I got a
1: throne of books. Yeah,
2: No, <laughs> nobody can make fun of you for your warehouse or your garage full of books if you have fashioned them into a fancy castle and or throne. So I actually – so you maybe could do that, but I – so I did order a bunch, and I was going to make a fashionable throne. That, that may I be the subtitle
1: <laughs> of this episode is Throne of Books. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. Okay, but please, well, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. Please oh, tell no. us about I, why I, you chose I, this. I
2: love talking about my my imaginary Throne of Books. But um, so I, <laughs> Oh, it's imaginary? Oh. Well, right now, yeah, because see, I ordered, I ordered like 80 because I was so freaking proud of myself that I was like, I'm going to own them all. You know, but then I had, like, 80 books, and that was really tough to, like, move around because I was living in an apartment. At, at the time, we had just moved to Austin, so it was a very bad time to try to, try to do that with heavy things. But uh, actually, printing on demand is really great because they can just, when somebody orders it, they just print it, ship it out, you know? Um, and so you can order a bunch for yourself like I did and you can either make yourself a really cool chair or you can just have them and then when you go to conventions or you want to put them on consignment at, uh, bookstores or, uh, wherever else, then you actually, you have some physical copies that you can.
1: And the advantage is you don't have to physically ship them yourself. Oh, yeah, somebody- no, they,
2: yeah, like, for example, with, um, with Amazon's Create Space, they just, they, they do everything. I mean, they print it off and then if, um. Like for example, I ordered some stuff that looked really kind of like the colors were off. And so I had them I would, like asked like, "Hey, how how long has this been happening?" And they're like, "Oh, well, recently we moved your orders to this other shipping and printing center and we'll just move them back here so you have a lot of I mean, they're super nice about it. You have a lot of control over like everything, like down to the color balance of the colors of your cover." Okay. Um, so it's it's you have actually a lot of power.
1: Well, we did the same thing with the Cursed. We decided to do it as a digital product with a print-on-demand option. Awesome. And exactly for that same reason. because Well, not for the Throne of Games reason, because we, we that well, would have been awesome maybe, to do. You
2: maybe <laughs> should reconsider and try to do that. It That's
1: does make cool. me reconsider, but we did the um, <laughs> we did the print-on-demand option because we didn't want to really uh, – it was too risky to do it where we would be shipping it out ourselves and storing all the, the products ourselves. Now, I do have something exciting to say, that we did um, actually arrange a print run through – uh, studio two publishing and at origins, uh, last month, you oh, could have found print copies of Accursed there. And now it should be f- sort of trickling out to uh, game stores, uh, to be on a physical product on the shelf there. So, so we did eventually do a, a print run. But when we started our plan, like the, the, uh, the smart way seemed to be like as an independent publisher to go with digital and then do a print on, print on demand as an option.
2: Yeah, I think I think it definitely makes the most sense to at least start out that way. But I mean, that's awesome! Congratulations!
1: Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm, well, you know, it's 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 actually been a good it's been a good time for me. Uh, you know, in the, in the writing world, like I actually have a short story published.
2: <gasps> oh my it, gosh!
1: It's in a book called Containment Protocols, and it's an EPUB right now. You can get from ManticDigital.com if you want to check out my short story in that book.
2: Mantic. Um, I'm writing it down. <laughs> it'll,
0: it'll be in the show notes, too.
1: It'll be in the show notes. So, Daryl, what, what about printing? Do you have anything you wanted to say about that before we moved on?
0: Uh, one thing I, about tra- doing a traditional print run that we kind of, you guys mentioned, but didn't really go into details, the warehousing, that's probably going to be the biggest pitfall, especially for game designers, is especially if you're doing anything tabletop related, because tabletop game books are always big, and if you're doing a board game, or a box; those are big boxes. You've got to put them somewhere, which means either you better have a damn big garage, or you're going to be paying someone to for storage of those every single month or quarter or however you negotiate your terms with them. Right. Whether they do fulfillment or not, some of them, some places do fulfillment as well; they'll do the shipping. Some of them don't. You, it's just literally like a like a storage place. Okay. So you've got to have somewhere to put them, and that can get pricing, something you need to take into account if you're thinking of doing
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. Storage storage is a big deal. I've actually talked to a lot of people who have printed their own stuff and they always say, you know, don't put it in the backyard. Uh, <laughs> get, get, like a, get like a storage unit that's, you know, got a sealed... Uh, typically you want like the hermetically sealed places because books are not the kind of thing that do really well with moisture or leakage of any kind so nope. you know if you have if you if you have, a, if you have a nice garage it'll probably be okay but if you don't yeah you're gonna want to have to go like probably get one of those storage well, lockers. and, and
2: heat because i mean yeah. um anything that's been perfect bound which um is if anyway, oh, it's glue
1: right Glue, if, yeah melt.
2: like that means that it's just like you, know, you take the pages and they're like ta-da like dipped it in glue yeah you have a book so like i mean that <laughs> that can i know help. that was a
0: That was a big problem at the bookstore I worked at uh, because when I was a kid, it was before a lot of the advances in shipping that's happened recently, especially with Amazon pushing a lot of the companies to upgrade how they're storing the products and shipping them. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of books that you could just, you would pick it up off the shelf and the cover would be in your hand and the pages would stay on the rack.
2: Right. I believe
1: it.
0: Because the glue had melted and then when it got into the air conditioner of the store, it reformed and the seal wasn't there anymore.
1: Yeah. So that's a really good point is about heat. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: And I did want to talk about one advantage of going with the traditional print run. If it's something you're pretty sure you're going to be able to sell, then however many copies you're ordering, traditional print runs tend to be cheaper on your end than print on demand. Print on demand costs a little bit more per unit in most cases. Unless, unless something's changed in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. It, well, it's, 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 it's usually, it's based on volume, I believe. Because, uh, when we were looking into it for Cursed, it was a question of there was an upfront cost. On a like per thousand basis, and the minimum was like a thousand books, and that upfront cost was we were like, ah, uh, you know, the ROI on that just didn't look like it was attractive to start with.
0: That's return on investment. Yeah, so
1: right. we 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 eventually worked out a great deal with Studio Two where uh, it was it made sense for everybody. Uh, but all I'm saying is like just keep in mind that if you do go traditional printing, there is a minimum number uh, that they will want, and that number is not small.
2: Well, another, another benefit to traditional publishing, um, or or, or, I guess I call it warehouse, warehouse publishing, because for me, traditional publishing means going through for me as the book person, means going through like the, the big, you know, like penguin books or something. But if you go to a printer and have it done, like in that thousand order kind of thing, um, you can choose like your paper type and you can choose, um, like offset printing and you, you actually have a lot of uh, really great quality control options. So if you are sure that you're going to sell a bunch, but you really do need to be super honest with yourself, but um, you you do have a lot of uh, really awesome quality control options. Right.
1: So, you know, we've talked about, you know, the things that have kind of led you to the decision that you wanted to to self-publish. Now, you know, how, how long ago did you did you get your book out?
2: When, um, did, it, when did it come out? It's been a little bit, it's been a little over a year, I think, that it's been out.
1: So, do you feel any differently now than than you did at the very beginning? Has has the experience sort of changed uh,
2: anything for oh, you? Oh, it's it's so easy. Like I just I just tell everybody like, oh my gosh, you should totally do it. You know, like I it, you know, have you been rejected by a publisher? Have you, just, <laughs> have you given up? Like I should have an infomercial for like all of the self-publishing outlets, because I will sell it, man. Like, I just think, like, it, it's so much easier than I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was this crazy insurmountable, and, like, I, I mean, I can do, like, a, you know, some basic website coding, but I thought, like, to code stuff for, like, your Kindle and the iPads and, like, Mobi files and stuff, it was like, oh, my gosh, it's going to take forever, and, and I'm terrible at math, which is why I decided to write, so, like, I don't want to, like, measure my cover, and I'm going to get it wrong. And it's actually so, so easy. I mean, there's so many tools at your disposal to make it just super fast, super flawless. And now that I've got my first one done, I mean, I can just, like, plug in the new stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's just, it's so, so fast and so easy. And for, like, instant gratification people, like, oh, my gosh, this is the best. Like,
1: now, of course, I think the question our, our listeners are going to want to know is, like, you know, have you found it to be profitable to do this route? Could they, you know, could you see yourself retiring from marketing and just doing, you know, self-publishing full time?
2: I think maybe in another five years, um, I wasn't profitable for most of my first year, uh, but now I've, st- I've It's a, it's finally started turning around.
1: But it's trending. It's trending like it would. Absolutely. No, that's what okay. I'm saying. That's
2: what I'm saying. If being reasonable, I think if I give myself another five years of putting books out there and um, self-promoting and of course when I have more stuff out then people kind of trust you more than just like a one-shot random thing right that helps you just by itself so well we um, had a, we
1: had an episode on, on crowdfunding and I talked about how important that first Kickstarter was to get it right oh yeah and I think it's important also like if you're if, if you're independently publishing a game or a novel you want that first one to be a really good solid hit mm-hmm Right, and then because because then you can build on it. Don't just put and, and this you know falls back to what I was saying about don't rush it. Right, mm-hmm. you know, put out something you think you're really proud of that you really feel is a good representation of yourself, and that will be your foundation that you can then build on. Right.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So when you're talking about publishing, and, you, and we're talking about building on that foundation, um, you just said it was super easy. What are the software and and tools that you use to make it so easy on yourself?
2: Um, well, I mean, for like ebook creation, um, there's this thing called Calibre, um, C-A-L-I-B-R-E, and it just, it, it will just, I mean, you just throw your stuff in there, and basically, it just formats it into any kind of file you would need for whatever e-reading device, uh, you're trying to sell it on. And it's freeware. So,
0: that's always good. I'm going to double down on that recommendation. Even if you're not publishing anything, it's a great organizer if you have a large collection.
2: Oh yeah, of books. Yeah, uh,
0: but I, I got to tell you right now, I got better results and faster results and easier results using uh, using that program than I did with the official Amazon converter trying to get a Mobi file. Oh
2: really? I didn't even try because I just like I just read that people were like, this is a good one.
0: Because it's command line, and huh. I had formatting errors, and it would work on some Kindles, not all of them. Oh. Uh, the one from Caliber, nope, straight out.
2: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's good to hear. So, yeah, I just suggest that. And then um, for, like, I mean, this this one's much more expensive because it's not free. But um, as far as, like, doing your um, cover, like, I have Adobe Illustrator. Um, so for anybody who does do any kind of graphic design or something, you probably already have that program. Um, Photoshop. But, yeah, you can do it in Photoshop. Uh, let's see. I think, like, freeware versions of that are, like, GIMP, and there's one that's, like, the name Monkey in there, but I can't remember. But there are like, <laughs> online freeware kind of Photoshop-like.
1: I would also, I would recommend uh, InDesign.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, For, InDesign, like, the interior.
1: Well, yeah, if you if you want to do, well, especially in a lot of tabletop games, they have a nice, like, kind of cool craft design on the interior as well. And it's just great for laying if – if you want to put anything cool like a sidebar in or a handout
0: or – Tables.
1: Yeah, tables. Um, InDesign is just super fantastic. It's what I use for all of my products is InDesign. And I, I actually design my covers in InDesign as well. Oh, cool. Um, as, as far as, um, you know, putting logos in the right spots and the names and fonts. And, I mean, yeah, Photoshop for the art, absolutely. But, but InDesign is what I use for laying it all
0: out. And if you're wanting to learn how to use InDesign, former guest Adam Jury has just started posting YouTube tutorials.
1: Oh, Jury is really good.
0: Yeah, he started putting up tutorials on YouTube on how to use it specifically for game design and game publishing.
1: What are some other, any other tools you can think of, Jen, that are really important?
2: I mean, <laughs> this one's so... um hilarious and easy, but, like, Microsoft Word, you would think that you would have to, like, for, like, your print-on-demand books, like, your physical books, you would think that you would have to do it in something like InDesign, and you totally can, and InDesign makes it super easy, obviously, uh, because that's what it's for, but um, the tools that Amazon provides you with, for example... Just make it super easy. You can just upload your Word document, and with a little finagling, you can actually make it look. So if you don't have access, I guess is what I'm saying, to InDesign, um, a lot of the publishing options you have now have uh, tried to make themselves compatible with Word.
1: Let's say I wanted to publish my book on Amazon. Is the Amazon stuff they have there pretty self-explanatory, or can you think of some tutorials that um other people might have done that I should go look at
2: I think it's pretty self-explanatory the only thing I would say is to not get sucked in cuz I mean they're they're going to try to sell you on cover design and <laughs> uh, and like ISBNs and barcodes and like stuff that you don't actually need if you just go to like uh myidentifiers.com um which is owned by Bowker uh you can buy your own ISBN numbers and then just use Amazon for example since we're using Amazon here just as your printer and not as your publisher Ooh. And um, you actually, you save a, a ton of money that way. Cause, um, okay. They, see, that's uh, a
1: really good tip.
2: Oh, yeah. Because Amazon, they, I mean, they try to, because they want to make money too. And so they try to say that like, oh, well, if you do this more expensive package, we'll give you an ISBN number and, or or in some cases, it's just like a special create space ISBN thing. It's not even really, I mean, there is an ISBN, but it's right. not the same.
1: So you're your own publisher then?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just, and, and it's so, I mean, I didn't have to do anything. I mean, you just go to that My Identifiers website and just be like, I'm going to name myself. Like, I was like, I'm going to be Iskabel Press because that's an awesome name. So. <laughs> it is, it is awesome. But <laughs> did like, you,
1: did you need to incorporate or anything? Is there something you do differently on taxes uh, or?
2: Uh, no, I mean, I went downtown eventually, like months and months later, and I paid like the $14 to make that a sole proprietorship, <laughs> but, um, just, okay well that's
1: that's see that's something that's really intimidating i think to a lot of people is like that whole idea so breaking it down like you just did i think that's really really useful
2: oh yeah no i mean really just just go there and be like i've got my own i've got my own stuff i literally just want the printing services of this print on demand which could be amazon or or wherever and you'll save yourself a lot of headache and um but otherwise it's i mean otherwise it's actually a really great service i mean they have really visual you know you upload your manuscript and it makes it look like a book and you can like flip through the pages and um it's really great
1: wow that's pretty fantastic
0: so ross uh, you've got a lot more experience on the back end with uh drive-through rpg which is pretty much the go-to source it's like the for, amazon for yeah <laughs> pretty much so i was wondering uh based on what jim was saying how similar is RPG uh, drive-through rpg
1: you know, okay. What's funny is um, John Dunn, who's been on the show before. He was kind of our business guy, and he set that all up through um, through drive <laughs> So, honestly, I, you know, like if for me to say how it is would be disingenuous. Uh, but what I know is that John did it easily. Now, John's a smart guy, but if John can do it, I'm pretty sure I can do it, and if I can do it, I'm pretty sure most people can do it. Not to denigrate John at all; he's he's a really smart guy, like I said. But um, I, I don't think it's super hard. That's all I'm saying. Because
0: I know they have a lot of the a lot of similar tools to what Jen's describing. I just haven't seen them myself. You know, I've just heard people talking yeah, about them.
1: Yeah. Well, I, uh, Sean Fannin is going to be my roommate uh, really, really soon, and um, Sean is, of course, uh, a big guy who does a lot of stuff on drive through, and we'll need to get him on the show and like maybe talk talk us through that talk us through that sometime because I think that would be something useful for the listeners to know. But it's a good point to bring up now just to, to keep in mind for the future. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on DriveThroughRPG.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed. And we're back with uh, Jennifer Renee, the self-published author, talking about independent publishing. We had just kind of gotten done talking about tools and software. Um, What are some other things you need to do to start publishing stuff yourself.
2: Like I said, uh, basically having your own ISBN numbers are really important. And I would suggest getting, because they offer them in like, you could just get one or you can get a block of like 10 or you can get a block of like 100. I would suggest if it's your first time, go out and get a block of 10 because you're going to need a different ISBN number for every single version that you publish. And by version, I don't mean like, you know, edition one, edition two. I actually mean like, if you have one for the Kindle, that has to have a different ISBN number than your softcover copy from your print-on-demand. And it's going to be different from your iPad version.
1: Oh, okay. That's, um, that is your, important. And your
2: Nook version. So you're going to have to have a different ISBN. So it makes sense even though it, it, you're like, I just have one book. Like, you're actually going to need, like, five ISBNs.
1: Right. Because so. the
0: ISBN goes to the specific edition and printing and medium. Exactly, yeah. every like, it's, the, it's, it's the number that bookstores use to actually look you up if they're trying <laughs> to order your stuff.
2: Yeah. So, so that's that's a piece of advice I would definitely say to follow. Yeah. You said um,
1: you would like to hire someone to edit your stuff or get your book, get your stuff edited. Do you know like a ballpark of what how much that would typically
2: costs? Or um, so it's kind of different depending on um, who you want to edit your stuff. You know what I mean? Like what kind of qualifications you want them to have? Because um, like a a professional quote unquote like editor can charge anywhere from like five to ten cents a word and i know like for my book for example that would have cost like i don't know $8,500 $8,500 or something like that.
1: Jeez, I mean, so, I, I, I would love to get paid that much per right, word. I know. It's <laughs> to write it in the first place. Yeah,
2: no, I know. So, um, <laughs> so, But if you have that kind of money, you can get, like, the most pro-editing job ever. But they can also return your manuscript with a big X on it and be like, make it a Western. So, I mean, it just depends. <laughs> so, um, you can find uh, a lot of people who can do it for, like, one cent a word for example, which is still pricey, you can do trades with other authors um, where you will review their work with your particular expertise and then they'll review your work. Um, you can find people on, there's some really great forums out there that you can either hire or again do trades or something like that. Um, like Absolute Write, those forums are good and um, also even on like Twitter, like the different hashtags about like am writing and am editing. And then there's like the beta reading services that, for example, my company offers. Yeah,
1: like line by line.
2: Right, uh, where you can you, you can just look at all the options and like, okay, well, I want to pay one cent a word or I only have a work in progress. So I'm just going to pay like a dollar a page because I just want to know what you think of the first 10 pages. You know, so like you can, right. there's tons and tons of services out there. You just have to have to look.
1: And just just for the record, typically editing for game products tends to be a lot more casual and a lot less pricey. Typically, like uh, like I remember awesome. when I was when I was working at Fantasy Flight, we we paid an editor, but it was not the kind of rate you would expect for a novel, and that's that's largely because you know game writing involves actually a lot of mechanics and a lot of uh, examples and things that are kind of difficult to screw up. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, 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 I, I want to say there's like a world, you know, that writing a novel is like more involved in the craft, typically. Sure than a lot of the game writing, but at the same time, I, I actually honestly think that they're, they're just different disciplines. They, they actually don't require less, um, effort on either part. It's, I think it's just due to the traditional nature of the business that it's kind of less of a charge.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I would, I would think that a game editor would really need to look into, you know, does this, is, is this gonna put the player in the game so yeah, they that they can good. really experience <laughs> it? And like, it, you know, is this writing, um, does this writing work to actually set the player up to believe this and to experience this to its very best degree? Right. And, um, I think that's very similar to novel writing, but like you said, it's just the mechanics are a little bit different because the novel is like, while I'm reading this, do I believe that I am this character? Like, you know, it's, it's, right. it's very, very similar. It's just that the words you use to accomplish the task of getting the, the user Into the world that you're trying to create, you just have to use different words just to do it.
1: Yeah, well, game like tabletop gaming as an industry typically is just like traditionally, and I don't know why this is, but it it's just it has always been one that pays very little for both writing and editing. It's Hmm. that's just that's just the way it is. Um, It has always been that way. Go ahead, Daryl. You were going to say something.
0: Um, I was just going to say definitely want to make sure to get someone who's experienced with gaming to if you're doing editing, unless you're specifically just wanting someone to check. You know, your grammar, your tone, things like that, uh, just because the writing is a lot more like technical writing than it is novel writing. So sometimes that can trip up editors that are more, more yep. used to prose. Mm. And That
2: makes sense.
1: There needs to be a style guide if it's a, built on any particular IP, like Star Wars or Star Trek. Yes.
0: One other thing is, you don't have to worry as much about the mechanics when you're in the editing phase because hopefully you have play tested the crap out of it first <laughs> to make sure those <laughs> mechanics work. Yeah, so you just have to make sure that they get transferred right onto the onto the final design. That's like
1: the additional step that the novel writers don't have to do is play testing, although they probably do something similar with the, their reading groups and whatnot. Yeah,
0: beta reading. Beta, seems beta reading closer. is
1: kind of like play testing. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. No, I I would agree, and, and beta reading can be painful. Also, when you get, when you get one of those where you're like, I just, oh my god, I just don't get it. Like, why, why do you have no dialogue and 80 billion words? Like, <laughs> so I would imagine it could be pretty similar for, for tabletop games too, where it's like, how come, when, when do we get to play? Like, when do we get yeah. to, how, why, why do I have to throw all Why are these there all these really detailed
1: rules for treading water?
2: Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, I'm looking at imagine. you,
1: Shadowrun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you also need to set aside some money for artwork. Now, games typically have a, a much higher budget for artwork uh, because they need more of it to illustrate the characters you are going to be playing, the monsters you are going to be fighting, those kinds of things. Novels just typically need it for the cover, and you you just kind of made yours in uh, in Photoshop. You need you didn't even hire an artist for it,
2: right? I actually. Um and I think this maybe could help people who want to make their own artwork for uh, tabletop games as well, I actually downloaded a free 3D program called Daz, D-A-Z, Daz3D, Ooh. and um, it's totally free, and it's like Poser, I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, like for 3D...
1: I'm not going to promote anyone to do a cover, an entire cover in Poser because I've seen some of those. No, 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 that's not what I mean. They're terrible.
2: (laughs) No, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, for like, um, for example, like the, the hands on my cover. Yes. Um, those were done, like the, just the hands themselves were rendered in this Daz 3D, which is basically like a, a a freeware version of Poser. And I painted over them in Photoshop and made them look like, like not crazy creepy plastic hands right like- so, so it was
0: more like those little poser dolls that artists choose right yeah. References.
2: So yeah so what i'm saying is like if you're you know if you really want to make like this guy holding a sword you can like you you can like download this program and like pose a basic figure like a male figure in that way and then you can just export it and then you can actually like trace over it if you're not like a super great artist and you know mm. you're not the next
1: and that would actually
0: uh, solve a lot of Liefeld syndrome problems
2: <laughs> oh
1: Liefeld you're not an artist <laughs> <laughs> okay but yes Um. well I, I we can have a whole episode on art direction in fact I hope we will in some time in the future uh, oh, yes. talk about art direction but those are all really good points thank you for telling us about Daz Jen that's a really good oh, point oh yeah no problem now something I'm really curious to actually hear you talk about is marketing your novel because we did bring this up earlier about like what what you do for that, what are some ways you market an independent published novel?
2: Well, so again, it depends on your budget, but just if we just pretend that numbers don't matter, you can go to uh, Google, for example, Google Ads. And actually, um, if you don't have an account with them, don't do this until you're about to use Google ads. So don't do it like now and then publish a book in a year. But like or a game or anything. But if you don't have a, a Google AdWords account with them, you can just type in like Google Ads coupon and the first link is like an official Google thing and they'll give you like seventy five dollars worth of free advertising once you spend twenty five dollars. So that's a really great way to get started. But again yeah. it, it only works once. And I have tried it with other emails, and they know. So you can only, <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can only do it the they one time. Know. I know. I like. I enlisted like my mother and like my husband. <laughs> I was like, everybody help me, but they were like, no, it's not letting me. I'm like, how do they know? That's ridiculous. But um, so, anyways, it's a good one, uh, especially just to get started and just you know test the waters. You can also, if you just make ads yourself, you can go to relevant websites where you think you could sell your game uh, or your book and you can uh, get in touch with um, the admins and ask them like what they would charge to place your banner up for X amount of views or clicks. There's a different kind of cost and and measurement there if you want like cost per just view and then a cost per click because that's different, you know. So you could do that with like individual website owners. You can also, like I said earlier, I mentioned going to websites that get people together. So for games, I think this would be a really great idea uh, to go to like meetup.com and you can sponsor uh, groups. So like, you know, D&D groups or something. Um, huh. And th- the way that site works as far as an advertiser goes is really kind of cool because you just like put yourself out there and you're like, if this group picks me to sponsor them. I will offer them, you know, twenty percent off of this, or I will. Oh, that's a good idea. Throw them a party or you know, whatever the heck your your benefit is, and then you just sit there, and then they pick you as their sponsor. That's um, cool. So it creates like a kind of a positive relationship right off the bat. Yeah, I'll say so. So that's a cool way. And then there's um, guerrilla marketing tactics. Um, so I so I know for like line by line, for example, the my proofreading company, we go to like parking spaces so they have like lines and then we would like misspell a word like around it in chalk, as if somebody like screwed it up and we crossed it out and then we like do the correct one and then little line by line but you have to get permission from, it's called guerrilla marketing you have to get permission from like you know the shop owner or the Starbucks or whatever, but you can do a lot of really cool creative stuff that way, and that gets a ton of attention because people take pictures of it, and then they upload it to their own Facebooks, like, check this out, this company was so clever, and then that's immediately way more marketing than just your silly little chalk drawing. You know what I I mean? So So if
1: if you're super creative, people will pick up on that.
2: Yeah, they'll just be super impressed and they'll laugh about it. They'll take a picture on their phone and put it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and then hundreds and hundreds of people see it for free. No, that is. That's super cool. There's Facebook ads, of course, um, that you can do and that helps. It's kind of similar to Google ads. You can choose like your demographic and stuff. But like Google, it can get really expensive as far as like cost per click and cost per view. Let Something me
1: ask like you. You know, there's a there's a term I've been kind of waiting. I was I was wondering if you're going to use it, but I haven't heard it yet. So I'm going to bring it out. Um, Smashwords.
2: I have actually. I'm not active on Smashwords, so I actually can't speak to that.
1: Okay. Uh, well, that's it is my understanding, which is very limited. But my understanding is that Smashwords is also a really good platform for uh, getting an independently published book out there and people looking at it and things of that nature.
2: I've I've certainly heard about it, and I'm active on some forums that have people talking about it. But I have actually never ventured over there. So I okay, can't. well,
1: I'm gonna I'm just gonna throw that out then as a suggestion. Maybe yeah, you should, uh, <laughs> definitely
0: smash words. That's
1: a really good question.
2: I'm
0: and gonna I'm Google going
2: to go
1: to, it. And, yeah, <laughs> but, I'm gonna Google it right now,
0: and I'll give you the an answer on that.
2: Now
0: don't exactly know what it, it is, is the world's, I've heard the, word.
2: the world's largest distributor of indie ebooks there you go that's what they say ah. <laughs> they say they offer a fast easy option for distributing your book to uh, large ebook retailers and they provide tools for marketing distribution and metadata management
1: friend of the show and uh, fantasy author Richard Lee Byers who was on us with us a while back talking about game fiction he uses smashwords to get his ebooks out
2: there that's cool yeah i'm i'm looking at it here and it looks like it's like a really it's just like a trusted source for good ebooks at least as at least as far as uh formatting i mean everybody's opinion is their own but as far as like you can rely on the fact that like it'll be formatted well and you'll be able to read it and there are periods at the ends of sentences
0: so it gets around the problem that a lot of independent publishers have which is this idea that there's no gatekeeper so there's it's hard to get the signal from the noise in the amount of stuff that's out there,
2: I—I I mean, I think that's what they're trying to say. But they have so much stuff that I have a really hard time believing <laughs> that they don't have. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't like. I said I cannot. I cannot speak to that website.
0: Well, well at least you know that the yeah. book you download isn't going to crash your Kindle, right?
1: I, I think if Richard Lee Byers uses it, it's something we should look into. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. Yeah. So, all right. So we've talked about some words, and we talked about all the marketing. Do you have anything else you want to say about marketing before we moved on?
2: Uh no. That's probably it. Good
0: luck to you. (laughs) I've got something that I've seen, uh, the guys from Cracked Monocle do, which is they get out there and go to game stores and all the guys from Cracked Monocle are awesome about this. Yeah. They're, they go to every convention they can go to and they're dressed up in steampunk outfits because it's steampunk game and they run demos at the com, they go to the game stores, the comic stores and run demos all the time. Another thing you might want to think about doing is uh, based off of what you were talking about sponsoring groups is if you're wanting to spread the word more why send a free copy to game stores to put in their library?
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or send it
0: to game. If there's game groups that meet like coffee shops or bars or, uh, there's a big trend right now with, a uh, board game cafes where you go to like a coffee shop or a bar and they have a whole stack of role playing games and card games and board games. Send a copy to them and have them and make sure that they, you've got something branded on there so they can, so that, oh, I played that game at that store. That was really cool. Maybe I should go buy it.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great idea. And actually, you reminded me when um, you talked about conventions, that, like, that that's another good idea. But be willing to, especially if you're new and, like, nobody knows you, be willing to, like, not come out of there with, with necessarily, like, a profit. Like, you might break even. But th- that's a really great way to get your name out. Because, um, for example, like, I, I've been to a couple conventions and I was, I broke even. But then the ebooks that I sold just skyrocketed because people would go see it and then they're like, oh, but you know, I actually could just get the ebook and it's, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. So they like, I don't know if they thought they were like.
1: It's, it's tough to go to a convention, you know, and do that too. Cause you got to sit and you, you're putting yourself out there, you're sitting at that table right
2: Um, oh yeah oh and if you're female like do not wear high heels
1: (laughs) really really
2: bad plan because i was (laughs) like man i'm gonna look so fierce and so fancy and like all my toes went numb for like a month because i was like standing up and trying to be really like oh yeah come over here and talk to me because i'm fantastic but like really 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 uncomfortable so (laughs) be comfortable look professional but maybe like bring some like really nice orthopedic shoes or something, because <laughs> that, that's a really long day. I mean, it's a really, really, really long, long day of trying to, like, have a huge smile on your face, and, you know, all the people who, like, don't really want to look at you because they don't want to come to your booth, you know, <laughs> and they, like, give you the little side smile, and, um, but it's super rewarding, and there are some really, really awesome people who go to conventions, and like I said, I sell tons of ebooks that way.
0: And one thing that you can do to try to offset some of those costs is something that, uh, I picked up from webcomic guys, uh, Randy Milholland and, uh, Danielle Corsetto, I believe was her name, uh, does something positive and girls with slingshots respectively. They typically team up when they go to cons and they will get one booth for the both of them and they'll do their sketches and whatever there. So it might be a way to offset some of those costs.
2: Oh yeah, I totally agree. A lot of, a lot of conventions are really cool about letting you share a booth. Like some of them are really strict about it, but, most of them are are really, at least the ones that I've been to, are really cool about that. They don't care. I mean, they give you two chairs anyway, so you know they really don't don't care. But uh, absolutely, sharing sharing a booth with somebody is a great way to offset your costs, and you really don't need as much space as you think you need.
0: Even for a game designer, you just need enough space to set up your game, really.
2: Right? Exactly. So if you can like, if you can team up with somebody. Whose game is of like a similar size, so you can split your table perfectly, or if they have a smaller size, or if they have a card game and you have a board game, like that kind of stuff's perfect.
1: Daryl, do we want to do we want to talk a little bit about Tefra? Because you know I played it at at, at Comic Palooza, and we kind of owe them a, a brief review. Sure. This is a game by Cracked Monocle. Uh, Daniel Burrow is the guy that designed it, and uh, as we've talked about on the show before, they represent their game really, really well in terms of marketing. These guys are extremely good. They always have magnificent facial hair. They're always dressed up in their steampunk. <laughs> They're always dressed up in their steampunk stuff. <laughs> the, these guys were at Com- uh, Con with us, Jen. You probably really? saw them. Yeah, I bet they, I did. They had the great mutton chops and the little curled mustaches. and
0: Long sleeves and vests and jackets in Texas summers yeah. at these cons. These guys are dedicated. They're
1: dedicated. So Tefra is a steampunk role-playing game that takes place in a world where there's also magic and there's also like some some weird technology and things like that. it's a, I've described Bill Keyes' uh, widening gyre game as uh, the shadow run of steampunk. Tephra is a little bit like that it's but it's it's slightly a little more out there too because there's like guys with wings and satires and like in the game we played at Kamapalooza mm-hmm. one of the characters was actually like a satyr with a, a jump a, a jetpack and a lance <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Character creation takes you know roughly 20 30 minutes, which is good. It's a D12 based system, and you roll a D12 and you add your stat. That kind of it, that's basically the uh, the success method. Uh, one thing I didn't really care for was that resolving things in combat was actually four rolls. Uh, I roll to see if I hit. You roll to see if you dodge. If I hit you, then I roll to see how much damage I did, and then you roll to soak. Okay, so that's four rolls to resolve a single attack, and that's a little bit too much for me uh, in my own personal. Opinion, but I, you know, it works. I'm not saying it's 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 um, dysfunctional. It's just a, for me, it's a little on the clunky side. These are this is because they don't have any static defenses. Basically, like accuracy versus evade and damage versus soak. Um, now, when you do things, in, when you do actually do damage in combat, they have a representation which are your hit points. But once those are gone, you start taking what are called wounds, and wounds have a bunch of different effects on you. One thing I also didn't like was the term they used. The game term for this is called a fatal. You can take a fatal, which could leave you with a broken arm or uh, you know maybe one of your eyes got busted out of your skull or something. <laughs> and it's called a fatal, but a fatal, I mean a fatal's ca- a fatal can kill you, but a fatal doesn't automatically kill you, which is weird if you're calling it a fatal. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, cuz fatal kind of, I don't know, that kind of indicates to me that yeah, you're it, you're yeah. out. Definitely... It's
1: fa- it's it's fatal, but it's not serious. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Yeah,
2: I got you. Yeah, it's a little confusing.
1: Um, now, one thing that was really cool with this system is action points. Uh, they wanted it to be a little bit like XCOM, where you have a certain number of points per turn to spend on doing things like moving and acting. But it's not again, it's not so, it's not static. You can actually spend from next from your next allocation if you want to jump in and do something right now. So it's cool because it kind of keeps you engaged in the action. Like Mm -hmm. if uh, you don't just walk, you don't just do your thing and walk away. You kind of stay involved and see what's happening because then you can use your action point to like jump in the way of something or interrupt someone else's move by spending it from your next turn. Uh, Which is that that is kind of cool. I do like that. They also have a lot of like the one thing I did like was like all the different classes and races. They have these kind of neat and interesting uh, special abilities. So you, you don't just have like. A, a, a satyr with a jump pack and a lance. Although you do have that, you also have <laughs> like crazy abilities that are built in, like whether you can, whether you can strike someone on a, on a move by, like while you're jumping by them or something. Anyway, I, I don't want to get into too much into it because uh, that would be a really long discussion. But suffice to say, it does have a lot of neat and interesting uh, special abilities for your character, and the world that that you're part of is actually really interesting as well. As I said, it's 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 definitely a little more out there when it comes to the. Uh, the steampunk settings, this is not Victoriana, right? This is not the typical, uh, normal world, uh, just with, you know, steampunk. They have, they have added a, a pretty interesting, uh, setting for it. All that having been said, um, one of the things I, I have actually spoken to Daniel about is I think that their, their artwork kind of lets them down. At the end of the day, uh, the cover is nice for the book, but when you get into the interior artwork and sketches, it just really doesn't, Bring across that super strong feel of the steampunk action and the steampunk fantasy that I think they were going for. I think if they if they brought in some artwork that would really elevate their book, I think it would really turn it into something uh, that I would more heartily recommend. So at the end of the day, I would say it's a it's a good game. It's not I would I wouldn't say it's a great game, but it's a good game. And it's definitely if you're interested in steampunk and you want to try a different way of of doing some steampunk adventure um do this. If you're only going to play one steampunk game, I would say go Winding Gyre. If you're going to do more than one, do this one. I would actually say this one's better than Victoriana. In my opinion.
2: Is is there any chance that this one has like steampunk ponies?
1: <laughs> you know, I bet I they would. Hard. If you wanted one, I bet they could have one. I, it, it's the type of game where it probably it might fly.
2: You All know? All right. It, are you kidding me? A steampunk Pegasus pony? Like really? Yes. <laughs> um. So yeah, if, if they're listening, if they can hook me up, I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh. So you know, um. Definitely check out Tefra. It's it's a it's an interesting game. It's done by some guys who are really creative, and they, they it has it has a lot of potential. I kind of like to see a second edition of it. Uh. You know, and see where it goes from there. Um, and I, I want to definitely see what, what they do with expansions and things like that. So I, I do believe it's a good game, and I want you, I want people to know about it. So there you go. That's Tefra.
0: And so now you've learned another marketing trick: get a game designer and podcaster to play your game, <laughs> yes, and make sure that he has fun.
1: Yeah, well, game designers make the worst players, just like doctors make the worst <laughs> patients. But yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt to do the little extra marketing. Now let's get back to what we were talking about with um, independent publishing um let's talk about raising funds so we talked about marketing like what if if you want to if you want to monetize your product uh jennifer you could tell us probably you know some good ways to do this outside i mean like you you mentioned kickstarter before
2: Mm -hmm. um so i mean there's kickstarter there's um i mean you can kind of do like a i mean you can go to you can go to conventions and you can like pass your card out and talk to people and, like, try to get more people interested. You can, I mean, you can do, it's, I mean, the, the reason Kickstarter is so great is because it does all this stuff that you would otherwise have to be doing in real life to go solicit people to, like, want to be interested in your stuff. But, I mean, other than pretty much just, like, asking people for money and promising them games and returns and I'll put your character in my game or something, I'm not really sure how else you could necessarily do it.
1: Well, you remember our friend, uh, Aaron Dorov from mm-hmm. Chiba, Ch- Ch- uh, Chiba He actually did a, a book on, I think it was on Kickstarter. It was Bladesinger, right?
2: Right, yeah. He and, was, he, he he and cro- Martha Wells, right? Yeah. He and Martha Wells, uh, went on Kickstarter, um, and they had a lot of success, uh, at least with their Kickstarter. So, uh,
1: $6,000. They were looking for five.
0: Mm-hmm. And they had
1: 185 backers. So you know that's one way, right? And they and they're still selling that. I mean, that's not that book didn't just go to the backers. It's actually now it's on sale, you know, in other places. You can get it, I think, right? And some of the things they were offering were like a print of the cover arts mm-hmm. and uh, art of the original characters, and they would uh, they would critique your screenplay treatment or outline things like that.
2: Yeah, I think um, with stuff like that, the rewards are really important for people because. Because I mean something like you know I'll, I'll make for like a board game like your character your favorite character that you can make up right now he'll be like the shopkeeper in our you know place or something like, you know what I mean like you never know and that could be like your $500 thing but there might be some guy out there who makes a ton of money or just really really values having his awesome character become immortalized in like games and stuff and books and, and you'll get that, that thing so you have to be willing to like if you're going to do a Kickstarter or something, like give up something pretty cool to get that awesome return.
1: Yeah, we did that with the cursed. Actually, we did. Um, we had a level where you could create your own witch and your own witch line of monsters. Oh, awesome! And a cursed. So we started out with six witches and six accursed. We had the uh, the mummies, the dampier, the golems, the mongrels, the varger, and the uh, the revenants. Right. And then we did our Kickstarter and we had a level which was actually really high where you could come in and you would create a witch and you create a brand new type of curse. And actually two guys did this. And yeah, that's awesome. So we ended up adding, we added the Affidians, which are like snake men, and then we added the shade, which was like a ghost, because that's what these huh. guys wanted. Um and you know, they 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 their check cleared, so we were more than happy to discuss <laughs> it with them. Right. Uh but no for real, it was actually that was like one of the advantages of the Kickstarter. I think those guys ended up really, really happy. Because they did have such a big impact on the world, they felt like they had, you know, made a big uh, addition to it that was very personal to them. Right. So that, that would be something, you're right, that would be great for not only a game, but also, like, novels and things of like that.
2: Well, and you know they're going to tell a billion people. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> my, you know... My my race, my snake men, (laughs) like my version of the reptilian overlords are here. You know, it's like that would just be so cool. And I mean, and then I mean, they're just going to be like the most the world's biggest super fans. I mean, I imagine they probably took pictures when they got their copy. And I mean, it's just, it's probably they're probably thrilled.
0: And I've also seen a lot of games do. You you are the inspiration for the character art for one of our. Core characters or demo characters are sample, but mm-hmm. basically the, like the archetype characters yeah, for the Yeah, it'll be you, yeah. Another cool one that I've seen that I believe you guys did as well is basically Celebrity Game. You run a game of your game for them. Right. Uh, I think you guys are doing one at Gen we're Con, doing.
1: Right? Uh, I think we're doing three of them at Gen Con, yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And isn't our friend of the show, Ari Marmel, doing a Patreon right now to support... Uh,
0: He's not doing it yet he's focused uh, he did a kickstarter for his anthology book okay which included new and previously published material that was out of print but uh, after he finishes that he's looking at the next project and one of the things he was talking about on Facebook was uh, doing a Patreon for his for a new novel in one of his two series doing it a chapter at a time on a website that's password protected so if you're a Patreon backer every time he releases a new chapter you uh, Patreon is basically a kickstarter that doesn't end so, every time a new material is put up, then you get charged then. So, if he puts up a chapter every month, you pay, you back for, say, a dollar or 50 cents. All that money then goes to him, and then he posts the chapter, you get the chapter. That's, and so, it's cool. kind of like a sequential storytelling in that sense.
2: Yeah, that's like, um, I don't know if anybody here is like a comic book fan, but like Berserk, the comic, like that comes out um, kind of like that, very episodic.
1: Berserk. Oh, that's cool.
2: Yeah, it's probably like an obscure. I don't know. They should make a game out of it, but <laughs>
1: Is that the one with Guts?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Guts and Griffith yep. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, that's, and all that.
1: You know, we Okay, so side note, we we're, we're going to have to talk to Jennifer Renee about her awesome love of pop culture because <laughs> she, she first of all, she loves Berserk, which is fantastic. Uh, But, like, one of your biggest pet peeves is probably one of mine, too, right? Which is whenever they take something from our childhood and then totally screw it up.
2: Yeah. Like... The Ninja Turtles. (coughs) Yeah. Like, the Ninja Turtles, like... (laughs) Like, alright, so if I, if I ever get a moment to talk with Michael Bay. Oh my god. We're gonna have one of the most historic conversations where he just like slaps me with all his money and then I just leave crying. But in my head, in my head, we have a serious talk about how dare you do any of that stuff. And like, I don't know, pretty much all the. I have I just have such a huge problem with people not being true to like like I understand, you know, um making it relevant for like uh kids today or or a new transferring media. A whole new generation. You have to stuff. Yeah, I totally get it. But I do think you should you should try to be faithful to the thing that inspired and um captured the hearts of so many. I mean, because that's why these these IPs became so famous and popular to begin with because they they were so great and they had such a great idea behind them. And when you try to like, I don't know. When you, I feel like uh, a lot of a lot of modern remakes and stuff today actually make everything just a lot more the same. Everything is way more the same, and it. it's it's not as uh, inventive, and it's not got that unique spark. That made it so crazy to start with, like Ninja Turtles, for example. Yeah. You know, they were really weird looking and it was all screwed up and they lived in the weird sewer and the, yeah, you know, like it was, it was, di- but like when you make, when you start trying to humanize them and, um, and, and make them, I don't even know, like, what it's wrong. like it's taller wrong. and yeah. like they can speak with more eloquence and it's like, you're making them into generic superheroes and that's not what made them so cool. Yeah, you know.
1: I agree with that, by the way.
0: My editor at Anical cool News wrote a very scathing review of Transformers 4, which he refused to call by that name. He just called it Fuck You, the movie.
1: <laughs> wow. You know, I need a link to this because I want to read that. Uh,
0: I'll, I'll get you one in a minute. But the one thing that he points out, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I can't say personally, but I, I've seen a lot of people complain about this. They have Grimlock in the film. The Dinobots finally show up. It's on the poster. Optimus Prime riding Grimlock.
2: I was going to say, that's like, that, did they not even just have that in the movie at all?
0: They were like, t- it was, the Dinobots ran it for like 10 minutes and they don't speak. How do you put Grimlock on a movie and not have him say, me Grimlock, kick butt? Me Grimlock, no like you. Exactly.
2: I think what you're supposed to do is flip tables.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's what
2: I've been reading, is that you just, just go crazy. And I don't know, that's horrible.
1: Alright, so do we have, do we want to do anything else before we jump into our final thoughts on self-publishing?
2: You guys have given me so much time to just like babble away, <laughs> so I, I don't think I have anything else I can possibly add.
1: Well, we, you know, the only thing I guess I would, you know, ask you about is um, deadlines, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because you are your own boss, and it has, you know, it, it, would you say it's taken you longer to do your own books than than it would maybe under a
2: traditional publishing style? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and also because nobody's giving me an advance from a publisher or anything. Not that that always happens for everybody, but it's, I mean, I do have my day job. You know what I mean? Like, I do have other obligations, and unfortunately I can't make it my full-time gig. It is also difficult to just sit there and be like, or I could go on the Internet. You know, like it's just, <laughs> so um, deadlines are really important. I found that having a really small writers group, and I'm talking like only two other people, like no, no bigger than that, because otherwise it's too difficult and you have conflicting schedules and then certain people don't read the material and then you always have new people showing up and they don't have any idea what your story is about. Like, so I really mean a very small, small writing group. That you know is going to meet every, you know, every other Saturday or Sunday or whatever, right? And that way, like, you can kind of create deadlines for yourself because you know that these two other people are going to have something, even if it's like three lines of poetry. For me, it helps being like, oh no, you know, I gotta, you know, I don't want to be the only person who doesn't have something to contribute. So in that way, I kind of trick myself into giving myself deadlines. Oh,
1: I'm gonna have to try that now that I'm in Colorado. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I, I should get in a writing group with Daryl Hardy and see if we can.
0: Get a third person. Yeah, that would be great.
2: And uh, the reason I suggest three as well is so that if there is, like, just a schedule conflict with at least the one person, you still have one other person who's probably going to show up, um, which keeps you to your deadline, because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about you, really, right? Right. So so that helps a lot. Um, And then also, as far as editing and reviewing their work, it doesn't, you don't end up having, like, ten manuscripts of people who really just showed up so that you would read their stuff, not really so that they could give you any useful feedback.
1: Now, I don't, I don't know how that would work with game design. I mean, I, I know it works great with novels. Well, uh, with
2: game design, I would think you would just need to, like, however many people you foresee could could play a game and be successful. So, like, on the smaller side, because you don't have too many cooks in the kitchen, you no, know what I mean? yeah. So, on the smaller side of, you know, foreseeably, could I get, like, four or five people to play this game and would it still be fun? And then make that your group. Okay. That's what I would think. That way you don't have too much input, but of course for game design you would you would have the adequate number of people to tell you if like the it, it's flowing well and I felt like I got to have my turn in a reasonable amount of time.
1: That's a really good advice.
0: You could probably do something like uh, schedule a campaign where Okay, I absolutely have to get the treading water rules done because they're going to be swimming in this next adventure. Right.
1: But no, see, that, that's the wrong. They, they need swimming I, I, rules, not treading water rules. <laughs> they're going to be swimming. <laughs> treading water means you're just stationary in the freaking water. You don't need rules for that.
0: Or how about we need our mounted combat rules because they're about to get a bunch of ponies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah! There Guys, go. let's make a game with ponies.
1: You know, uh, just FYI, Daryl Hardy, uh, who's friend of the show and who now lives in my area, uh, he is the designer of the My Little Pony uh, collectible card game. So well,
2: now we became best friends.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <So>.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, Daryl, what are your final thoughts on self-publishing?
0: I think it's a great way for you to take control of your own IP, your own property, your own. When you're done you don't owe a publisher you don't you have the rights to everything you own everything and whether you've succeeded or you've failed you have nowhere to point the finger at yourself that can be very scary but it's also that much more rewarding when you do finish it when you do complete something because it's yours you created it, and you don't have the big time lag like if you're trying to submit a game or a novel or anything else to a major publisher you've got to send it off to them or if it's a novel send it to the agent and wait and wait for them to review it and get and send you your rejection letter so you can send it to the next one and it can take you a year or two of just sitting there twiddling your thumbs when if you're doing it yourself you can just you can spend all that time on the product on the game and make mm. it that much better
2: absolutely
1: yeah I'm going down that road myself I mean having done accursed and now you know all the stuff I have kind of In the works, uh, one of the reasons I moved to Colorado was to focus entirely on uh, writing my own stuff. So, uh, you know, the things that Jennifer said tonight on the show, I've I've taken to heart. I think there's a lot of really great advice there. Um, Definitely a lot of things that I'm going to be looking into for sure. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. It's going to be an interesting journey. I think it's kind of for the same reasons Jennifer did it. I think I want to do it to kind of avoid having to make any kind of compromise on my creative, you know, my creative goals.
2: Go for it. That's so, awesome.
1: So that's that's really all I have to say about it. Jennifer, did you have anything left you wanted to to bring people up to speed on? Or
2: Well, I, I actually wanted to build off of what Daryl said a little bit, um, whether you fail or succeed, like, you know, all that. But I think if you have published, you've succeeded. And that is something to be so freaking proud of. You know I mean? It's like, that's like build myself a throne kind of success. <laughs> I mean, really, like, that does, I mean... You celebrate don't
1: just, that success. Yeah, but.
2: you don't just wake up one day and be like, I think I'll make a book thrown. Like, no, you publish a book and then you're like, I'm gonna make a book thrown. Like, it's just such a great feeling and I know it's that way for, for anything. I mean, if you do it, you've succeeded so no fear. Go for it. And, I mean, even if three people buy your game, those three people are gonna have an awesome time. And you have changed those people's lives. You've impacted them and they believed in you, so you should just keep believing in you and keep trying.
1: Fantastic. Jennifer, on behalf of uh, Daryl and myself, we want to say thank you so much for coming on the show with us today and telling us all about your your novel and how to do self-publishing.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. You guys are awesome.
1: Now, if we want to find out more about you and The Last Seraph, where would we go on the interwebs? <laughs>
2: um, well, you can just uh Google like the last seraph, um or go to Amazon and look for The Last Seraph. Um my website is uh Jennifer Renee, R E H N A Y dot com. And um I also have like a Facebook page, Jennifer Renee, and that's about it. Or and a Twitter, Jennifer Renee. Very Jennifer Renee y. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a lot You're of branding it's, well. It's a
2: lot of that. <laughs> a lot a lot of that.
1: Now I understand you have some some very unique skills? You you can draw a circle really well? Um
2: yeah, cuz I went to art school and let me tell you, I can draw a circle better than just about anybody on the planet. Except for <laughs> those people except for those people who like train for like circle drawing competitions and yeah, if you didn't know about that, that's a real thing. But no, like I can draw I can draw a heck of a circle. And then if you ask me to shade it, I mean, I will make it look 3D. So A 3D circle. Yeah, I'll, that's I'll badass. give it like I'll give it the most incredible like lighting you've ever seen in your life, with a pin, even.
0: <laughs> and a,
1: yeah,
2: no erasing. come at me.
1: There's also something I've read about uh, riding a bike with your eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, when I was uh, little, I wanted to prove to my parents that I was, like, the most awesome because I, like, have a thing about doing that. So, I, um, I was, like, yelling at them from up the street, like, check me out, I can totally do this, and so they just stopped and watched, because they're adults, and they knew that I actually can't do that, but they were definitely willing to, like, let me try, so I, um, closed my eyes and rode straight into the mailbox, and pretty well destroyed it, and then later in life as a teenager, I did the same thing with my car, except my eyes were open, (laughs) and I was just that terrible at driving, so... Um, I resent mailboxes. I feel that pain. Nice. Yeah, it's not, it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: so ponies, circles, mailboxes, got it. Jennifer Renee, ladies and gentlemen.
2: <laughs> On that note, with mailboxes. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Yeah, guys.
1: we want to, we want to definitely bring you back sometime in the future. I would
2: love to come back.
1: You've been a great guest, and, um... Daryl, uh, anything last to say before we we bring it up, break it up for the night? Go make your own games. I agree with that. Yeah. And until next time, may all your hits be crits.
0: So that's about it for this week. We've got a lot of feedback on our sexism episode last week, and yeah, a couple of MRAs decided to shit all over a Reddit post, and it got deleted. But apparently, they took a list of the look at the list of links I put in the show notes and decided the entire episode was horrible and our podcast is stupid and they started insulting both us and our guests. Yeah, that happens. But we did get a lot of nice feedback as well, especially on Facebook. Enrique Velasquez, who said, Well done, everyone. Great episode on a sensitive topic handled with maturity and tact and even funny at times. And he even posted a nice cool little applause uh, sign picture on there. So that was kind of cool. Um... We also have Kevin C. Mason, who said, I agree. Well done. It's a difficult topic. It's something that my daughter should listen to. My game group is primarily women, and it's perhaps the best group I've ever had. And, you know, they, uh, they did a study recently uh, that, c- that counting video games, over 60% of all active gamers are female. They just tend to avoid a lot of online forums and talking in MMOs and getting on the chats and stuff like that to avoid the sexist behavior from immature dickheads. Which is really a shame because one of the best ways to fix the problems of sexism in the gaming industry is for women to have a more active voice and to participate more. Um, But I guess they're, you know, too busy being fake geeks by spending all their time actually playing games instead of just talking about them on forums. Sorry, I'm proud of that one. Uh, But we also had Darren Noel who said, Great show, folks. Very insightful comments on a difficult topic. Well done. And we also had Karen Lewis who said, Thanks for doing a show on a topic that a lot of people don't like to discuss. Looking forward to listening more of your podcasts. And I want to thank you all for your comments. And I'm glad, aside from those couple of trolls, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. And I'd also like to throw a little bit more thanks out to Kevin C. Mason, who on Twitter, when asked for a gaming podcast to recommend, he recommended us. The podcast is well done. Amazing comment. Many worth a second listen. Thank you very much, and make sure, listeners, to spread the word. The more listeners we have, the more we can grow, and the more gaming awesomeness we can bring to you. And thanks to people like Kevin, we've actually got at least one new listener who went digging through our archives and commented on our website at GamersTavern.org. Lee Hanna said on episode 27 on Birthright, Thanks for this. Found you when this episode was referenced on RPGNet last week. I'm a longtime Birthright fan, member of its forums, etc. And... Lee, I'm glad you like the show, and I hope you keep listening. So if you would like to give us your feedback, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gamers Tavern, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Tavern PC, as in podcast, review us on iTunes, or come back home to our website at GamersTavern.org and leave us a comment. The Gamer's Tavern is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 license. Music for Accursed is Artemis by Asma Deva, licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 license. Music for One Degree with Nick is copyright Nick Jaworski, all rights reserved, used with permission. Until next time, the tavern is closed.
3: Hi, this is Nick Jaworski, and you may not realize it or probably don't care, but I edit some of the shows here on the Gamers Tavern Podcast Network. If you like podcasts but love audio editing, then I have great news for you. I have my own show titled One Degree of Separation, and you can listen to it right now and subscribe at OneDegreeWithNick.com. The show is kind of hard to describe. Each episode is basically an experiment that contains original music, stories, interviews. It's probably just best if I quickly show you some recent episodes. Try to see what you had, if you had anything interesting for me. Well,
0: uh, had you ever, had you water somebody? It
3: was actually a story of Abraham Lincoln, a very superstitious man, seeing his own doppelganger multiple times over a couple of nights. When looking in the mirror, he saw two faces, his normal face, and then a pale ghostly one that that worried him. I have to get back to editing right now, but you should go check out all of that and more at onedegreewithnick.com. Thanks.